Welcome to a Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise. I'm your uh, host here, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host and is running the boards, Jen Schneider. Hey, hey. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a, a fun show with just me and her in the booth today. I think this is the uh, the least staffed we've ever been when we've done the show. I know, and we're going to have to figure out some interesting things to say. Yeah, yeah, no, we have uh, we have a lot of work on our shoulders, just the two of uh, us today. Uh, but let's get started with, uh, I suppose, the the biggest national news stories that have been going on um, as, a, as a way to go ahead and get this out of the way so we can move on. And, of course, that is the impeachment shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good word for it. Uh, it sounds to me like everything's just stalled. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is holding on to those articles of impeachment. until it's, So I think there's sort of a game of chicken happening here, Luke. Would you say that's right? Where she's sort of waiting for um, the Senate to blink, in particular the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, um, to figure out, is he going to allow for witnesses? What are the rules of engagement? How will the trial, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, work so she's holding on to those until we have some clarity. I also have to wonder if she doesn't have some information that she's sitting on um, that we don't know about, and she's waiting for the appropriate time to re- release that. So we're really in a holding pattern when it comes to impeachment. Uh, you know, my read on the situation is, yeah, there's, there's, uh, Nancy Pelosi knows something that the rest of us doesn't do not. Know. Well, that's probably true in about everything. Yeah, but I mean, I think like her, her strategy is she's waiting for something to happen or um, waiting for Mitch McConnell to shoot himself in the foot or the, you know, like she's waiting for something um, that she's not just like hoping that things are going to to turn out better. So this is there's something going on here that we're not completely aware of. She's playing our, our cards very close to the chest. And I'm very interested to see where this actually goes because. There's really no benefit to her to just hold on to this for the sake of holding on to it unless she wants this to stretch into the the primaries and all that kind of stuff. But all that's really going to do is hurt the Democratic candidates because Trump's not running against anybody. So I don't well, know I was thinking about is. that this morning. It's first of all, I think it's very, very unlikely that Mitch McConnell's going to shoot himself in a foot. Right. He's a political master, whether you agree with what he does or not. But it's possible that the Trump administration could shoot itself in the foot. I think they've, you know, you even Republican strategists will talk about how it feels like every time they make a move, they shoot themselves in the foot. I, I have heard a lot of political analysis that suggests it will hurt the Democrats because, of course, a number of the leading contenders for the Democratic nomination are senators. And if they're tied up in an impeachment trial, they can't be campaigning. And, you know, we're going into primary season. So that's problematic. But um, one of the major Democratic contenders, Joe Biden, is not a senator. And so it could help him. Right. So I think there's a lot of motivation on both sides to have this come to a timely conclusion. So you do have to wonder, does Pelosi know something uh, we don't know? Or is she just um, hedging her bets that, in fact, the Trump administration will take a wrong step? Of course, the other big story this week, which we could tie into wrong steps or at least (laughs) steps as they relate to the impeachment trial. Certainly a distraction from the impeachment story is the the Iran story. Right. So uh, last week it was announced that the Trump administration had made the decision to assassinate Qasem Soleimani, who's a major uh, military player in the Iran government. First of all, I just want to take a second and congratulate you on pronouncing that semi-correctly. I practiced for a long time. Yes, I'm very proud of you for that. (laughs) I'm not um, an international relations person or a a foreign policy person, but my understanding is that the justification that the Trump administration has given for that assassination is that Soleimani, 
they had credible threats that Soleimani was planning to launch some sort of attacks on American interests, threatening American lives uh, in the Middle East. What's interesting is the fallout from that, I think, this week is that Congress has started to receive uh, classified briefings about the evidence that led to the choice to make that attack. And we're hearing really different stories about how convincing that evidence is. Yeah, um, certainly uh, people like, uh, particularly for the Republican caucus, Mike Lee and Rand Paul are, are really pushing back and they're saying that their justifications aren't good, um, that they're not following reason, and they're also not being very transparent. Um, and that's What's interesting is coupled with people like Mike Pompeo that's saying, hey, if you criticize the president on this, all you're doing is strengthening Iran. So essentially going back to the Republican Congress and really Congress, uh, caucus and going back to Congress in general and saying, hey, don't criticize the president on this. All you're going to do is strengthen. Don't question us on this. And so that that smells fishy to me. Right. Um, as far as the, the logic on which we base all this. And so um, we're, we're uh, I know Congress is now or, or the House is going to debate a new war, war powers resolution to, to give the authority on this um, Senate. The Senate's going to do the same thing. And so they're really questioning whether or not or what was the basis of this action and, and really a lot of new questions about Trump and his foreign policy. Yeah, I think that that issue of just trust us is um, that's a pretty weak arguing position um, to, to justify this assassination from or this attack from because, of course, the memory of the Iraq war and the way in which the nation was taken under false pretenses into that war is certainly um, there in our recent memory, in the public's recent memory, and in lawmakers' recent memory. And then also, unfortunately, this administration, you know, there's been a lot of turnover in leadership. We have a lot of our key leadership positions, particularly when it comes to defense and the intelligence community and the State Department that are unfilled. And then you have folks who are in leadership positions, Mike Pompeo is a great example, who don't have a lot of public trust, certainly uh, uh, on the left, but increasingly, I think, by um, some of the more vocal critics on the right. So if there isn't sort of really good evidence, I think it's very interesting to me that we are seeing a few of these breakaway critics on the right, when by and large, the Republican Party has really operated in lockstep for the most part in their support of the president. Yeah. And I mean, those those, those political conflicts are, are really dividing down. So anybody from the left that's questioning the president is, you know, a sympathizer with terrorists, right? Um, and so that's that certainly in, what Lindsey Graham has said. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so it's it's interesting to, to see people again like uh, Mike Lee and Rand Paul, who have been central to the Republican caucus in the Senate, now questioning this, right, and seeing the, some of those cracks pop up. Because I, I think you would be hard pressed to to accuse Rand Paul of being a, a, a like sympathizing with terrorists or, or really uh, any you know foreign military presence at all. Yeah, and Rand, Rand Paul's inter an interesting figure because I think for a while, uh, certainly at the beginning of the Trump presidency, we saw him making some critiques. I mean, he's much more of sort of a libertarian voice on the right, um, critical of big government. Uh, the tax cuts were problematic. But for the most part, he's fallen in line. I think Mike Lee, who's a Republican from Utah, um, gosh, that's a really surprising thing to see there because he's not somebody who I think has been consistent, outspoken, 
critic. Um, and he's certainly not like, you know, Murkowski or Collins, who strategically criticizes the president and then falls in line when it com- comes time to vote. So it will be interesting to see if we see any more sort of defections around this particular choice. Uh, one of the statements I read from Mike Lee basically was that um, he took issue with the fact the White House was telling them to, to shut their mouths and go along with it. Um, and I, I think uh, that's definitely more, maybe this isn't so much partisan as it is the executive uh, legislative divide, right? And Trump has really pushed those boundaries um, in this year. So maybe this is f- something that we're finally going to see with Congress pushing back and taking some of those authority, particularly when it comes to war powers and foreign policy, which they've ceded to the president in previous years. And I, I think they might be getting a little on edge with how that, that divide is occurring. But uh, I think we are about out of time for this section, uh, this uh, segment. We're going to be back uh, to talk about some cheerier news um, in just a moment on uh, R- Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise. Listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell Boise, and beyond. All right, we're back on uh, Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX. 89.9 FM Caldwell Boise. Um, and so wrapping up a, a discussion on, on national politics, we want to uh, pivot to something a little cheerier. Well, I mean, it's very unusual, Luke, that you and I are here doing the show alone. Usually we have Jackie and Charlie with us. We're all professors in the School of Public Service at Boise State. And this show is all about, you know, um, providing some analysis of local, state, national, international politics. Um, but also you all allow me to be on the show, which means we get to do some culture sometimes. Well, I'll also say that I pretty much uh, ride Jackie's coattails and now Charlie <laughs> Don't we all? And, and, and <laughs> use them to make myself look smart. So like we're, me and Jen are like, oh my God, how are we going to make it through this 30 minutes without right. them? And also you and I, in a lot of ways, we're kind of polar opposites, right? You're a man, I'm a lady. Um, you're from Mississippi. I'm from Canyon County. <laughs> Those are not you're... very different. <laughs> hey, shout out to all my Canyon County peeps. Um, you're a quantitative social scientist and I'm a qualitative cultural critic. So uh, we thought it might be fun to sort of do a segment that we're going to call Cheers, Jeers and Beers. Uh, if you're a reader of the local newspaper, the Idaho Press, you might occasionally see a section called the Cheers, Cheers and Jeers section. It's not my favorite because it's often a place where we see kind of random complaints. Like you might see somebody like, I'm tired of all the squirrels in my neighborhood. And that's their jeer. Um, or somebody else just says uh, the fall leaves are pretty or whatnot. They also complain about politics and parking. In cheers and jeers, but we're gonna we're gonna take that. We're gonna try to elevate it a little bit and talk about our cheers, jeers, and we're gonna add a beers section for things that we like to to eat and drink. We thought that'd be fun. Yeah, so we're uh, trying out a new segment. This is gonna be our, our 2020. We're gonna try to find some regular segments to do in this show, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, so. <laughs> When Jen proposed this, I was like, all right, so I got to first find stories that are good news, right? And she's like, yeah. And I swear, I spent like an hour reading the news. You couldn't find any I cheers. I felt like a lot of, I was just like, these are all nothing I want to do. Like, how I'm not going to cheers the Australian wildfires or the Iran <laughs> situation. So I literally went to goodnewsnetwork.org. Oh, man. Which is actually kind of uplifting. They had some good okay, stories on there. all right. But I found, and this is the, the one that I actually will cheers, U.S. Ca- cancer rates uh, are continuing to decline, and then 2007 saw the largest single-year drop in history. 2007 uh, or 17? 17. Yeah. Uh, so basically to say, like, 
we're doing a good job of uh, treating cancer. I think that's actually something that's that's good news. I mean, because uh, certainly I remember, you know, 10, 20 years ago where cancer diagnoses were a little, I mean, for the most part, I mean, death sentences, right? I mean, you're at, uh, and now uh, most cancers are, are, are treatable. And I can say my father's a cancer survivor and uh, I've got friends and colleagues that are as well. And so, you know, it's exciting to see that, like, we're actually making progress in this area. Yeah. And I, I will say that I saw that study as well, Luke, and they said they attribute uh, the big change to uh, fewer people smoking. So uh, you can stick that in your pocket and do do what you like with it. That's a great news story. Cheers to that. Yes. Yeah, cheers. All right. Well, my cheers is not so much a news story. Um, it's a book I've been reading. And so I'm going to book nerd out on everybody. But it's a book by Robert Caro, C-A-R-O. And it's simply called Working. Robert Caro is a journalist turned historian. He's an older guy now. He's in his 80s. He is this guy who has written these thousand page histories, 1300 page histories of two major historical figures, Robert Moses, who's best known as a sort of one of the most famous urban planners in United States history. If you've ever been to New York City and crossed a bridge, it was probably built by Robert Moses. And then also Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, president of the United States. But what he likes to do, Robert Caro, is not just write a biography, but tell us all about the historical and cultural moment that created that figure. And this book, Working, is all about how he writes, Robert Caro writes, all about how he, you know, digs through millions of pieces of historical artifacts to write his stories, how he conducts interviews. So one of my favorite parts of the book is, as somebody who conducts interviews a lot, I thought this was so interesting, he'll sit down with like a political operative, and in order to get a sense of what was happening in the room where it happened, he will ask the person over and over again, tell me what you saw. So not just what, you know, what did uh, Lyndon B. Johnson say, but what, what did his hands look like? What was he doing? What was his face doing? And he'll ask that over and over again until the interviewee gets upset even. But it allows him to write these incredibly rich histories that really give us a sense of what, what was happening at the time. So I haven't read the long histories yet. I mean, it's 1,300 pages. It's a commitment. But I'm going to because I think he's such a fascinating writer. Working much shorter Check it out. Go to Rediscovered Books. Pick uh, one up. I will say uh, his collection on Lyndon B. Johnson, I mean, is really good. Um, I actually have a, a couple of those, uh, a couple of books in the volume at, at my house, um, and it really shows you the political genius that Lyndon Johnson was. Um, do, the stuff that went behind, on behind the scenes that you otherwise wouldn't have known about that yeah. wasn't part of it, and like the genius that was there. And Robert Moses is just an interesting story in itself. He might have been one of the most powerful people in New York um, in mid-century, and so if you've never heard of him, he's somebody that that's worth looking into as well. What I love about that too is I think uh, understanding uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, and his role in the Senate also gives us insight into how Mitch McConnell does his job yeah. today. That's oh. my cheers. All right. So I've got one more to your story. And again, this comes from the Good News Network because, well, Fox and CNN had none of no good news. Uh, A new study out of a Chinese university indicates that doing something nice for others can immediately uh, relieve sensations of physical and mental pain. 
Um, basically, being altruistic uh, makes you feel better, um, both physically and mentally. And that makes sense, but it's nice to see the scientific record backing that up. So be nice to other people if you are in pain. Yeah, I love that. I've um, been listening to the podcast Finding Fred, which is about Fred Rogers. Cheers to that. It's so great. Mr. Rogers was every bit as great as you think he was. And they talk about how when you're feeling blue, one of the best ways to feel better is to do an act of service. Um, so it supports that. That's great. All right. Well, so, I, have, well I have one met last year's. Can I squeeze it yeah, in before the break? It. And then yeah. we'll do jeers years in our next segment no that sounds great okay so um of course the big local news this week is that we have a new mayor here in boise lauren mclean was sworn in as the um first elected female mayor of boise congratulations uh along with lauren jimmy halliburton who was elected a new city council member was also inducted into the city council and i don't know if you've seen the video of this but man is it heartwarming he had his 97 year old grandfather with him who's known as the Bluebird Man, by the way, because he's almost single-handedly um, helped rebuild bluebird populations here in Idaho by creating habitat boxes. Um, but it was just so heartwarming. He was wearing a bolo tie that his grandfather had given him. He gave a really nice speech acknowledging everything that Mayor Beater had done for him. And then he asked Lauren McLean, the new mayor, to swear him in. And it was just such a nice example, I thought, of how we can um, honor those who have come before us and those who are coming along with us. I loved it. Yeah, you know, whenever we move past uh, the politics and everything of government, there's a lot of really good people that are involved in it. And it's nice to be reminded that these are just good people that want to positively affect their communities in different ways um, and kind of move past, you know, the politics and the hatred and the, the visceral nature of some of the dialogues that we go to, uh, go to and just remember the human element of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, what are we going to do in our next segment here, Luke? Uh, we're going to do jeers and beers. Um, and so we're going to take a, a quick break and then we're going to be back to talk about that, right? All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. To KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise, Community Radio for Boise and beyond. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise. Um, and so in our last segment, we talked about cheers, um, good stories that we wanted to cheer to. Um, and now we're going to follow those up with jeers and beers. Jeers and beers, those go well together. Yeah, exactly, right? We're going to try to do positive, negative, and then we're <laughs> going to try to go back to the happy place before we wrap things up. Um, so the story I would like to actually jeers to everybody in the story um, is this week a, a story that's kind of made national news or made the rounds on a couple of different networks. Uh, has been a guy who um, basically worked for a national company uh, in Canada. Um, the national company gave out uh, Christmas presents to all the employees. So it so happens that this Christmas present was an $8 bottle of barbecue sauce. Um, and uh, he didn't really like the fact that he got an $8 bottle of barbecue sauce. So he went to Twitter. Um, and uh, basically roasted his employer. Um, just really like, hey, this was, you know, talked about it, kind of be, felt like it was being insulting, that it wasn't as good as uh, presents that they got in the years past. Had actually talked to other uh, colleagues that were in the U.S., then uh, they had gotten better gifts. And so he really just puts this all out on Twitter. Uh, and so then he gets back from the holidays, and guess what happened, Jen? Did he lose his job, Luke? Yes, he got, he lost his job. Wait, so are you jeering his complaining or are you jeering the company? I'm actually jeering them both because one, he shouldn't have complained it, but like, God, it's not. Like, why would they fire yeah. I mean, So I just jeer everybody in this story, but this is not a heartfelt story at all. I kind of feel like everybody in this story made a bad move. 
I mean, it's pretty reminiscent of if you were, you know, like me, you're just coming out of the holiday season and watched a lot of holiday movies. This is a lot like, you know, a plot point in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where Chevy Chase's character gets what, like a Jolly of the Month Club subscription mm. instead of his big bonus and free, freaks out, <laughs> goes and kidnaps his boss. So I'm like, uh, I kind of get where this person is coming from. Yeah, you know, I get uh, where he's coming from, but it just also, you know, highlights because we've seen tons of these stories in the last year in the last several years about people going on social media and saying things they shouldn't say and then coming back and uh you know biting them uh and so uh you know i think this is he probably should have known better um but so the company also probably shouldn't have fired him for it because that's just bad press on their part right yeah yeah everybody's behaving badly in that one yeah yeah there's just not a hero in the story at all no. so that's why i made it for perfect our first year story of 2020 i like it i think it's perfect hopefully it's not a metaphor for what's to come yeah all right my jeers we've talked about this on the show before um, I think there are a lot of reasons to be concerned about the ways in which the Treasure Valley is changing. Growth is a major issue. We, I think we saw that in our uh, most recent elections. And as somebody who, you know, has been involved in uh, helping the community talk about and think about and plan for growth, I certainly think that's a worthy topic. My jeers is for hating on Californians. And I'm going to make a proposal that we just try not to do that in 2020. And that we uh, stop saying things like we should just stop growth or build a wall around Boise. So that's my political plug to, to leave that sort of California, other state hating stuff behind and let's move forward and try to build something cool. Well, uh, I have strong thoughts on this. One is, uh, while I'm no sympathizer to Californians, uh, I feel like it's completely arbitrary for us to pick people that live in one state, right? They're just moving here for a better life, and I think that's kind of more in line with the American dream. But the other thing that drives me crazy about the sentiment in Boise is like half the people that you talk about be like, oh, those Californians moved here like three years ago. They're like, oh, no more. We need to stop this growth. I moved here because I liked it the way it was. It's like, well, aren't you part of the problem? How are you now going to complain about people doing exactly what you did? Right. So I totally can understand people like Jen, who grew up here, maybe being like all oh, these Californians need to get out. But what about everybody else has lived here for like three or four years? Right. So they move here and then they want to build the bridge like that. That's just hypocrisy. And there's one thing that I cannot stand in politics and it's hypocrisy. I like it. Yeah, there's no hypocrisy in politics. That's fine. Um, all right. Well, let's each do a beer. And then if we have time, we'll come back and do another jeer. How's oh, that no, no, no. We got we to gotta leave this at the beers because we want to leave a positive story. You want to leave it with beers? All right. Yeah, we got to leave a positive note. All right. Jen, what's your, what's your beer story? Um, well, I have two. But so I'll start with Impossible Burgers. I raise my glass to Impossible Burger. I'm a vegetarian. My two daughters are vegetarians. And this has totally made it possible for us all to go out together with my meat-eating husband and enjoy a burger and fries and, yes, sometimes a beer together and for me not to feel like I'm eating a sawdust hockey puck. Impossible Burgers are available at Red Robin. They're available at Ten Barrel. They're available even at Burger King. I'm not advertising for those places, but it is so nice to be able to go out and enjoy something delicious and that tastes like meat but that is not meat, so... Good job. So I've heard, and I, again, I'm a meat eater and I love meat, but I've heard really good things about the Impossible Burger. Like, I've heard you can't tell the difference um, and that it's the same price and it's just as good. And I've actually heard stories, like, you see them in the media that people eat the Impossible Burger and don't know that it's actually plant-based. Um, 
on the flip side, I've heard the biggest challenge with this is actually keeping production up because it's become so popular they can't produce them quick enough to supply everybody. Yeah, and I heard that last week they came out with um, a sausage version and maybe mm. also a sort of pork chop substitute. So I'm excited to try those and hopefully they can figure out some of those supply issues. It's been really interesting. I'm about to have my Oprah Winfrey moment, <laughs> but it's been very interesting to watch the beef industry try to respond. So for example, I believe there's a lawsuit that's happening between beef producers of America and uh, the makers of Impossible Burger that they're not supposed to be claiming that it's a beef substitute. They don't like the use of the word beef at all in the advertising. So it'll be interesting to see how some of this plays out. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, regardless what the lawsuit happens, if people like this, then it's, you know, people yeah, are going to go out and find it. Yeah, exactly. I uh, am vegetarian. I have money to spend. Yeah, exactly. And so vegetarians are becoming a, a larger part of the market and everything else. And particularly, uh, and as I've talked to you, and I know a lot of vegetarians and vegans that live in the South, and they're like, it's impossible to do that and go out to restaurants just because there's not enough options. Um, and so definitely this opens up a lot of possibilities for people to go out and spend money. And they want to go out and spend money and enjoy, you know, restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So on that subject, uh, my my beers or my cheers to beers or however we're going to call this uh, is uh, all the new restaurants in Boise that seem to be opening uh, in the last couple of months, but also planned to open in, in 2020. 20. Um, I'll say there's a new southern restaurant, uh, downtown Tupelo Honey. Tupelo which is, Honey. Which is really good. Uh, me and my wife are both from the south, so we've missed a good southern restaurant. And does it hold Is it hold up? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had better southern food, but in Idaho, it's really good southern food. All right. um, and so if you like southern food, that's definitely worth checking out. Um, but I think one, one reason I really like living in Boise right now is it just seems like there's new restaurants that open every week or every other week. Um, and so me and my wife always run into this, this problem where it's like, alright, do we go to the restaurant that we had last week and it was really good and we went to eat again or do we try the new place that we were talking about all week and so that constant debate about like where we go um and so that's like a good problem to have that's a fun that's a fun discussion to have a fun choice to make yeah exactly all right well that sort of leads into my last beer which is i'm just gonna you know raise my hypothetical uh drink to this is this um my so one of my new year's resolutions is to take myself out on dates more Just you by yourself? <laughs> just me. All right. And so one of my new favorite things is to go to one of these restaurants we just talked about downtown or for lunch or for dinner, maybe on the weekend, um, leave my kids with their friends and my husband watching football and uh, go have a really nice meal. Maybe stop at Rediscovered Books first and pick up a new book to read and enjoy a, you know, a lovely bowl of pokey or maybe some, I don't know, what do you get? Greens at Tupelo Honey? Something uh, delicious like I, that. I get fried food. Fried food. Tupelo, honey, and just uh, treat myself to a quiet hour of, uh, you know, enjoyment. All right. So how many, what do you normally do on date nights by yourself? Just just go to a restaurant and hang out? Yeah, I am, again, I'm a book nerd. See, the first thing I recommended, um, which is a book. So I love to just go out and, and uh, read and have something good to eat. All right. So if you see Jen by herself reading a book, it's leave, not because she's lonely. It is because. Leave me alone. Yes, yeah, she, she wants to be left alone. <laughs> So take that as a note. That's right. All right. So uh, I'm going to call Jeers, uh, Cheers, Jeers, and Beers a success for our first episode. Yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah, so we might have to uh, bring this back uh, throughout 2020, especially as we uh, run low on on interesting stories that aren't depressing. Um, (laughs) But this has been uh, Luke Fowler and Jen Schneider on Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'll talk to you next week.